Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. Pat Addis didn't start out to be a Broadway producer. She loved marketing and design, and to that end, founded Pat Addis Enterprises, a promotion company. After 30 years at the helm, she handed over the reins to her daughter. That freed Pat to reinvent herself and embark on a new career, theater producer. But first, to learn the tools of the trade, she took a course at CTI, Commercial Theater Institute. That was in 2005, and in the years since, Pat has produced more than 18 Broadway and off-Broadway productions, including the Tony Award-winning Spring Awakening, the Tony Award-winning Vanya, Sonia, Masha, and Spike, 39 Steps, and Desperate Measures, which won the Drama Desk Awards for Outstanding Music and Outstanding Lyrics, and the Outer Critics Circle Award for Best New Off-Broadway Musical. So let's meet and get to know Pat Addis, producer. Welcome, and thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Boy, you've really done your homework. Listen, people with resumes like yours make it so easy. You always knew you were going to have a career? Well, no, I actually didn't. What I wanted to, I know this is going to sound really weird, but I went to Finch College, which was an all-girls school, and I got married very young, and I wanted to have six children, five of my own and one adopted, a house in the country with dogs, cats, and horses. However, it was not my husband's dream. (laughs) (laughs) And so he left me after 10 years of marriage with three kids and no money. That in and of itself could be a Broadway story, right? (laughs) Well, it made me a person. So I have no regrets. It was really tough. but Were you one of those young women who went to college to get her MRS degree then? (laughs) I don't know about that, but it wound up being that way. I love my children. I love being a mommy. And um, I was a young mommy, so I sat on the floor and played games with my children all day because dust... You can dust it, and it comes back again. (laughs) I rather sit on the floor. And that was like so many years ago. It's like another world, Mm -hmm. another life of mine. And when my husband left me, I had to make money, so I did what I could do best. And what was that? Well, because of my background, I was able to sell. And um, I had already done a little bit of it while I was still married, Um, My husband introduced me to a man who was in the Navy with him, and he had this thing called a tote and float bag. And I used to go into people's offices and go, (laughs) blowing up inflatable beach bags. I thought you were being the wind. Uh And um, And trying to convince them to buy your product. Right. And I quickly understood that you can't just sell one product. You have to have something else. If you make the initial contact... Who says they want that tote and float bag? They might not. So I expanded it, and we started making ponchos. We initiated the Dayglow poncho. I designed aprons and tote bags, and then he didn't want to um, stay in New York anymore. He wanted to go to Florida, and I didn't want to move because my mother was still here and alive. So we parted waves, and <laughs> one of One of my um, clients um, took me out to lunch, and he badgered me on why I didn't start my own company. And finally, everybody in the restaurant heard me say, okay, okay, I'll start my own company. What year was that? So long ago, 1973. You had to work, but on the other hand, you reinvented yourself. That's true. And I go around speaking to women and women's groups, telling them how they can reinvent themselves. 
because a lot of women, not to change the subject, but a lot of women, when they hit 40, 50, they have empty nests, or the husband leaves or dies or whatever, and they don't know what to do with themselves. I know it sounds kind of weird because we're New York women, but, you know, a lot of New York women have the same problem. Yeah, that's universal. It doesn't matter right, exactly. where you live. You just may have more opportunities in New York because it's a bigger area. Exactly. So I think that a lot of women need to know that they have a skill. And a lot of women don't understand. I didn't think I had any skills, mm-hmm. but I did. And you have to find your skill. And once you do that, even if you don't have to make money, you can take your skill and do volunteer work, which is so necessary all over. Mm-hmm. We can't also just ignore the fact that you got into college, that you were a bright woman. Whether you chose to have a career or not is another point. You had a lot going on up, up here. I guess. <laughs> all right. Well, I'll say that for you. So you started your own promotion company. Right. And was that a difficult thing to do? Um, Pat Addis Promotions? I never thought of anything being difficult. I just did. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I still to this day don't think about how difficult something is. I just do it. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's because I don't think, I'm not a deep thinker. So you're you're at the helm for 30 years. You ran a successful operation. And then what did you do? Just wake up one day and say, I don't know? No, apparently everybody who worked for me said that I wanted to be a Broadway producer. And I guess I did. So I took the Commercial Theater Institute course that you had mentioned. And Were you a big theater goer? Yes. You lo- so you oh, loved yes. going to, to oh, the yes. theater. Oh, yes. My mother, we lived on 55th Street, so my mother could go shopping at Saks Fifth Avenue, bond with tellers, go to Museum of Modern Art, and the theater. She wanted to walk to those places. She was a big New York walker, and I reaped the rewards of going to the Isn't theater that a great? lot. That's so great. And so that was in your Bones. Right, my DNA. In, in, in your DNA. Was it just kind of a thing that you woke up one day and said, I've had a good run, now I want to switch gears? It was a natural progression. I took the course, then a woman who was in the course with me asked me if I'd like to produce Little Women with her, and I said, I don't know. So I went down to Duke to see Little Women. It was with Sutton Foster. At Duke University? Yes. Okay. They, uh-huh. they, they, Is that the where workshop, was, right. the workshop was? Uh-huh. And I never looked back. So that was 13 years ago, 2005. Right. And were you the lead producer? No, I was not. Thank goodness, because I knew nothing. You think you know something, you know nothing. I'm still on a learning curve. Every show presents a new problem. Well, you know, I think there's a bit of a naivete about producing. Because for me, I honestly don't know what the definition of a producer is, short of raising money to put on a show. But it's much more involved than that. Oh, yes. Particularly if you're the lead. I'm the head hunch on Desperate Measures. And it's very different than if you're just a producer who just puts money in the show Uh and just... You know, does nothing. For your first production of Little Women, you were someone who just put money in the show? Yes, I went to meetings, Mm -hmm. but I didn't have much impact. Uh Uh-huh. But you had a checkbook. Yes, and I raised money for it. And I did have a little bit of a voice, but I didn't know all the things I know today. So when you raised money, and you were one of, I assume, numerous producers. Right. And not as many as they have today. I mean, well, it's, it's a escalated. A lot more, I'm sure it's escalated ridiculously. Yeah, I'm sure we'll get. We'll talk about that. But for you, just on a very personal level, 
you raised money, you invest in the show, and you made money on Little Women? No, I did not. You did not. And despite- But I, I'm, I have to clarify that I may have through residuals that I get checks for. Mm-hmm. So I think by now it has paid back. <laughs> <laughs> so what was going through your head when Little Women closed? You, you forged ahead. Oh, yes. It's addictive. I'll never leave. I mean, they'll find me dead with a smile on my face because I love producing. Well, what a way to go. (laughs) But let's not get there yet. So what happened after Little Women? I did a show called Cheetah Rivera, The Dancer's Life. Mm -hmm. I did an off-Broadway show called Shout. And then I did Bridge and Tunnel with Sarah Jones. Oh, that was wonderful. Yes. She's an amazing, amazing, clever lady. Why don't you take us through the steps of what it's like for you as a producer to get involved and see the birth of something? It's different when you're a lead producer like I am. I you am didn't respect- start out that way, obviously. No, and I shouldn't have. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to pay your dues and you have to learn. And it's very important that you learn. Mm-hmm. Because I worked, and I won't mention names, a wonderful lady on a show, and she was a new producer, and... She knew nothing. And you have to know a lot. And you can't just depend upon your ad agency or your marketing. You have to really be savvy. And it's really hard because there are so many other shows out there. How do you make your show the number one show as opposed to Stand everybody else? crowd. Yeah. And it's harder off-Broadway than it is on-Broadway. Well, the take is not as great because it's a, they're smaller venues. That's true. But when people come in out of town, they want to see Broadway. They want to go back home to their little right. town and say, I saw Phantom of the Opera exactly. or Lion King. And I can understand that. I happen to have the best musical on the stage right now. Everybody tells me so. Everybody loves the show. It's desperate measures. And nobody comes out without a smile and loving the show. Well, it's sheer entertainment. It is just delightful entertainment. I want you to talk to me about what it is like to be a producer. Let's just say I'm kind of interested in doing that. And you're going to be CTI for me in a very Cliff Notes course. (laughs) Before, you have to raise money. If The before part, you can't do a show without money. Of course. And you have to have a theater. Getting a theater is very, very difficult. And if you don't have a name or some background, you're not going to get a theater on Broadway. And a name as in a store? No, as a producer. Okay. Or unless you have lots and lots and lots of money. Mm -hmm. They're not going to give you a theater because there's so many shows that want to get theaters on Broadway, and there are very few theaters on Broadway. And then you have shows that have taken up the same theater, like Phantom of the Opera, Hamilton. They own those places, practically. Right. They've been there for so long. Yeah. Exactly. So that gives less and less theaters. Now, the Palace Theater is closing for a two- or three-year renovation, so we lost that theater. There was a theater on 42nd Street that we were hoping could be revitalized, and it's just been bought out, and they're putting in a retail center. So we don't have any new theaters coming up. There are very few theaters. Mm-hmm. and But Broadway's thriving. Yes, Broadway's thriving, but there are like maybe hundreds of shows that want to come to Broadway that will never see the light of day. 
because they can't get a theater. But you're your own entity, correct? It's not that you have Pat Addis Production Company? I do. You do. (laughs) But I'm small. (laughs) Yes. So that somebody will approach you with a, a possibility and you juggle through offers in terms of... Every day, people ask me to produce their plays. Every single day. So... I'm a baby producer. I'm not a big shot. Mm -hmm. And you can imagine what all the other people get if I get at least one a day. And I don't like reading scripts. I like reading books. I like seeing things. So I'll go to a table read, you know, on the early stages. But there are so many good things out there that will never see the light of day. I can digress and tell you the story of Desperate Measures. I saw Desperate Measures at the York Theater after it had opened. I couldn't go to opening night because I was busy. And I went to see it, and I thought it was the best musical I'd ever seen. And I had always said that the next show that I do, I have to be able to sit through every night. Not that I want to, but I should be able to. And I found that in Desperate Measures. I thought it was fabulous. Then I found out the woman who owned the rights to it was a Chinese woman, and she wanted to close the show in two weeks. After it got brilliant reviews, even by the New York Times, we got brilliant reviews. And I said, you can't close the show. If I didn't bail that show out, it would have been in a trunk and gone forever. So you're responsible? Yes. <laughs> that, right. That's amazing. And for people who don't know, Desperate Measures is a musical takeoff on Shakespeare's Measure for Measure. The actors, the cast of six, speaks in couplets, which is positively brilliant. And the music is rowdy and rousing, and it is so engaging. And I know people who have seen it more than once. So clearly, <laughs> you knew what you were talking about. And so you stepped in and I'm going to sound dramatic, no pun intended, you saved that show? Yes, I did. <laughs> oh, so I'm not being dramatic. No, 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 I did. I mean... You put your own money in, or you tried to get... Oh, no, I had it, I used my own money to keep it going. The idea was that if we could keep it going, we then would be eligible for awards. If it closed in two weeks, it didn't matter what the reviews are, no rewards. So were awards... awards just speak volumes because that's Absolutely. what brings in more people. Right. I mean, the, and does that mean you can charge more? Also, by the way, <laughs> no, no. Seriously, no. you can't. Ticket prices don't necessarily get no. raised because a play's won an Obie or a Tony or whatever. no. It might help at the box office and to sell more tickets, right? And to make it a hit. And once you get a hit, I mean, it's outrageous what some of the prices are going for. I was talking about this with some other people in the theater, and what makes me sad is when I go to the theater, I, as I've said many times before, I look around in the audience and you know who I see? Me. And that's really disheartening because I don't see a lot of younger people. I hate to disagree with you, but if they really want to go, all of the Broadway shows have lotteries. And there are lots of clever ways of getting it. If you belong to theater Development Fund, TDF, before shows open, you can get a lot of discounts and all the shows are in discounts. No, you can't get Evan Hansen on it and you can't get Mormon on it. But originally before they opened, you could. And so if you're really a theater goer, you can do it that way. You can go through the lottery if you really want to go. And you can be clever about going 
um, you can join organizations and things that help, like American Theater Wing gives out tickets to a lot of kids. So you have to be clever, and if you really want to go to these shows, you can. Well, that's great, but the average Joe may not know about that or well, want to do that. If they listen to me now, they will. Well, sure, sure. <laughs> so, again, you get approached and you go to a table reading or whatever. Have you ever made any massive mistakes? Um, yes, I did, but I don't want to discuss it. It was a play that I wasn't devoted to. I sort of got coerced into doing, and I learned a lesson. You must never do a show that you don't absolutely love, or at least for me, because the commitment that I have to Desperate Measures, I never had on that show. And I will never do a show that I don't absolutely love and adore. Have you ever had several productions up and running at the same time? Yes, And is that like (laughs) having a lot of kids? One of the most exciting things to me personally, I know it sounds ridiculous maybe to anybody listening, but I had Tito Rivera, The Dance is Life, running on 45th Street. And then Bridge and Tunnel opened on 44th Street. And opening night, I had to run back and forth between the two shows because at Tito Rivera, The Dancer's Life, Dick Van Dyke was doing two performances only. And my grandson was doing Bye Bye Birdie in school. And you wanted them to meet? <laughs> <laughs> and I had invited them, my daughter and my grandson, up to see the show. So I had to run back to Tito <laughs> Rivera, The Dancer's Life, from the opening night of Bridge and Tunnel. Uh-huh. But as I ran through... Schubert's Alley, I had an epiphany, and all my own, and it was just beautiful. (laughs) It's nothing I could share with anybody, but it shared with my heart. And so, as I said earlier, it's addictive. How does it work in terms of the number of producers per production? Because when you look at the playbill, you know, the list could be endless. Well, we have, we're off-Broadway, and so we only have three main producers Mm -hmm. on it. And uh, I'm Mary Cassette and Willette Klausner are my partners, and they're wonderful. In this particular show of Desperate Measures. We have a lot of investors. Ah, so there's the difference, correct? And as a producer, right, as a producer, that's your job is to get investors. Right. So again, what's the difference between a producer and an investor? An investor has no rights. (laughs) So you're just coming to me, and I'm giving you a check. Right. And you hope that I am going to get you money back. Uh Or you may do it because you want to. For instance, I was one of the producers on Eclipsed. I knew I wouldn't get my money back, but I felt it was an important play for me to do. I don't know if you saw it. it I did not. It was about four Liberian rape slaves during the conflict. Yeah, heavy-duty topic, yeah. And a lot of people didn't come because they don't want to see anything like that. I know that line before. I want to go to Broadway, and I want to be entertained. I don't want to see anybody else's problems. And it was so powerful. And I knew we weren't going to make money back on it, but sometimes you do things out of pure love and heart, and that was one of them. So the producer is like kind of like the first line of defense. You get the script, and then either you're in... You know, you're on board or you're not. And then it's your job to bring in investors, correct? Correct. And so that's what you do. And do you have this cadre of people that, oh, Pat's on the phone again. (laughs) Pat sent an email. Is it the same? Do you travel in the same circle, kind of? No, different people. 
for instance, my partner, Mary, who I love and adore, and we met on Vanya, Sonia, Masha, and Spike. Now, Willette, I met on Eclipsed. And so you find people that you have a like-minded... Yes, that you've got a thread there. So you decided to join forces, correct? Right. And it probably would have been smarter if we had more producers on Desperate Measures, but I had little time to do it, and it was very complicated having to buy it out from somebody else. And then we closed at the end of December, and we didn't have a theater to go to, and we didn't know what we were going to do with the show. We were supposed to go to Chicago, and we just signed the contracts for Chicago when we got the wonderful call from Michael Coco of the Schubert's New World Stages. Which is where the play right. falls home, which is off-Broadway. Mm-hmm. That is the best run theater off-Broadway or theaters because it's a conglomerate there mm-hmm. of anyone in New York City. I mean, it's expensive, though, because your weekly nut there is much higher than any place else. But a, a lot of the theaters in... I hate to see this off-Broadway or not really desirable. I mean, Theater Row is wonderful. Signature is wonderful. But some of the theaters... Are a little neglected, huh? That's a nice way of putting yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, that must be really tough. Over the course of the time that you've produced plays, and it's not quite 20 years yet, what have you noticed that's changed from when you started to where you are? It's much more costly, and it's harder. It's just harder to do. Well, maybe it's not harder, but there seems to be a lot more um, product out there that's competition. And there's just so many Yeah, there are a lot of little tiny theater companies out there, and they're in competition to you. And it doesn't matter that they're not the best or what, but if they sell a ticket, people can only put their rear end in so many places in a, a year. I mean, I go to the theater a lot. You go to the theater a lot. But most people don't. Maybe they go... A few times a year. And special occasions. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that it makes it very difficult with all the competition. And then you have community theater. You have your kids theater. Yeah, yeah. But that in and of itself is exciting, too, you know, that there are options. Oh, yes. There are lots of options. Is it to a play's advantage to have a limited run? I don't know. I don't think so because Mm -hmm. it's really hard to make your money back. On a limited run. For instance, I was a lead producer on A Christmas Story, the musical, which is the first holiday show ever to be nominated for Tony Awards. We didn't win, and we were only on for nine weeks. You cannot make your money back in nine weeks. I mean, the band's visit just paid back, and they got glorious reviews. Yeah, and and won a bunch of Tonys. Right? Yeah. And they've been on a long time, and they just paid back. On the other hand, straight white men paid back in their limited uh, engagement. So that's hard to make generalizations. Right. But they all worked for minimum, and, you know, they sold out. And I guess a lot has to do with your if you can charge a huge ticket price yeah. and sell out. But basically, you cannot make your money back in a short run. I mean, A Christmas Story, we did wonderfully well. We sold out all the time. But nine weeks, and we had a huge cast. There's no way that model works. Mm. You know, I guess, and this is not an original thought, but everybody seems to want to credit Lin-Manuel Miranda 
for almost turning Broadway around in terms of Hamilton and bringing in a different generation and a younger generation. I mean, I happen to have seen that musical six months after it opened. I was just very fortunate. Just got online at the at the uh, theater box office and paid $106 for a ticket. But that really, I think, was a seminal moment in the theater. Or is that not fair to deify him? I have mixed emotions about that. So mm-hmm. I think it's wonderful and it's successful and it has brought young people into the theater. But I'm not sure that... Are those young people now going to go see other things? I hope. Well, that's what we were talking about. I mean, yeah. Evan Hansen brings young people in, and I thought, I frankly enjoyed Evan Hansen even more because it got to me emotionally. And I like to be emotionally... Engaged. Yes. I think there's there's more of a, a variety those, in the types of stories that are being told on Broadway and off-Broadway. Yes, but, you know, I did Eclipsed, which was definitely diversity. Um, you know, diversity has been on for a long while. Well, sometimes the winds shift, you know, there's no method to the madness. You know, all of a sudden things that, why weren't they hot back then are hot today. That's true. I mean, it must make you scratch your head a little bit. <laughs> and I think diversity is a very important part. I think telling a story, I hope to be doing something with women women's rights and suffragettes coming up for 2020. I'm a big female advocate, Mm -hmm. and um, there are some amazing suffragettes. And one of the things that a lot of people don't even realize, there are some black suffragettes who are just amazing, who helped the Underground Railroad. Right, and whose stories need to be told. The woman who took care of Mary Todd Lincoln. Just amazing stories of these women. You know, I wanted to also ask you how you feel about revivals. What's the buzz on that? And there have been a bunch on Broadway this year with Carousel and My Fair Lady. And clearly there's a generation that never saw a place like that. But do you think that that's just, this sounds cynical, I don't mean it that way, but hey, let's just do that because it's an easy way to make some bucks. I am with you. I did one revival. I did Gigi, which was a mistake because they tried to make a PC. And that ruined the show as far as I was concerned. But I had no control over that. Mm -hmm. And I do not like to do revivals unless it's for a very specific reason. I think new stuff is better. Right. But it's a hardest sell. To do a revival, you already have the buzzword branded. And that's a very big thing, branded. I mean, like Desperate Measures is not branded, so it makes it harder for us to sell a ticket. Whereas Carousel or My Fair Lady, everybody knows them, they're branded. Phantom of the Opera sells because people all over the world know Phantom of the Opera. It's branded. Yeah. And therefore, it's easier to sell tickets. I prefer new things. I want to give a chance to New playwrights. playwrights. Yeah, yeah. I, I was a producer on Buyer and Seller. Oh, the one-man show with Michael Urie. Fabulous. Brilliant. He's opening up again and on Broadway. Song. Yeah, song. yeah. Harvey Firestein's play. I love, love Michael Urie. He is my pet of all the guys that I've ever worked with. He is just amazing. He's an amazing actor, but he's an amazing person. And I'm, How nice for you that you get to intimate with these people who are on stage and you get to know them, and it makes it makes producing not seem like a job. Well, 
that's a misnomer. You don't get to know most of your people. Oh, okay. I mean, I'm not one that hangs out backstage and in their dressing rooms. Maybe if I did, I would. But they have families. And when I say a family, they're in a show, and that's their family. Sure. Then they go to another show, and that's their family. And they have very different lives than I do. And, you know, it's very seldom. I always become friends with one person in the show. And I've got to clarify something. I said something that wasn't true. I did do another revival. I did Promises, Promises. Okay. So I did do two revivals. Mm -hmm. But basically, I still stick to the thing that I'd rather do new. In Promises, Promises, I became friends with Katie Finneran. I adore her. But it's very difficult. I mean, they have their own lives, and they're very busy. I'm very busy. The misnomer of getting buddy-buddy, you might be buddy-buddy with somebody when you're in the show with them in the trenches. But then once they move on and you move on, it doesn't work that way. I understand. Well, it sounds like giving up the promotion company, as wonderful and successful and as much as you loved it back then, how great to have been able to reinvent yourself and enjoy what you do now. I love it. And that's just the best. It was really great to get to know you, Pat. Thank you. It was fun. Yeah, and I'm so glad. I mean, I just love going to the theater, and I have a bunch of tickets of things that I am going to see. And as I mentioned, I saw Desperate Measures and loved it. And I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, so I want to thank you for sharing your life and your passion with us. Well, thank you for having me anytime. We'll talk again. Join us for another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. But I-